Hello and welcome to the Final Girls podcast. This is Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your podcast host. If you're new to the show, usually we cover the intersections of horror film and feminism and look at a particular trope in depth. But occasionally we cover new horror releases that we really love and want to talk about. And even more occasionally, we get to talk to the filmmakers who made them. And in today's bonus episode, to tie in with her recent E BAFTA Rising Star Award nomination and to celebrate the literally just announced BAFTA nominations for the film itself as well, I have a special interview with the lead actress from one of my favorite, not just horror films, films in general from last year. I get to sit down and talk again to the wonderful Morfitt Clark, who is the lead in Saint Maud. If you haven't seen it yet, we don't actually spoil anything from the film itself. We talk about her role in general. We talk about her working with Rose Glass and working with the wonderful Jennifer Ely and start and end the conversation talking about TikTok. So if you need some convincing to check out St. Maud or you've heard about it but haven't seen it yet, um, this might be an interesting conversation to convince you to check it out. You can also find a link in the show notes where you can actually vote for the BAFTA Rising Star Award. That's an audience choice award. So you can just fill out a, a form online and cast your vote for whoever you think should should get it. With that said, if you're new to the podcast, you can check out our backlog of episodes and find out more about The Final Girls over on our website at thefinalgirls.co.uk. We have a weekly newsletter and an editorial platform, and you can follow us on all the social medias. And with all of that said, please enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Morfid Clark. TikTok has been my greatest friend this year. I am completely there with you. Yeah. It's it's the thing that I watch every night before bed. Yeah. My sister was like, can you stop sending me TikToks because I'm so close to downloading it and I'm doing a degree and I just can't <laughs> do that right now. It's like, okay. Morfit, first of all, thank you so much for giving up a little bit of your time today. It's a pleasure to speak to you again. Thank you for having me. Um, so we've we've spoken on previous occasions about St. Maud, but there's always more questions that I have for you about this role. And um, I kind of wanted to start a little bit at the beginning, but once you had the role, what mm-hmm. was your way in with Maud? How did you start approaching the character, like via research or talking to people or kind of what was your method there? Um, I spoke to lots of my family who work in medicine um, and that was kind of quite amazing and eye-opening because I realized these were quite a lot of people that, one of them's my mum, who I think um, I am still kind of, even though I've been an adult for quite some time now, I'm like, oh, I need to learn about you because you just mothered me mm. all my life, and now I've got all these questions. And um, she um, she spoke to me a lot about burnout, mm-hmm. um, which was one of the reasons that she retired, and um what I discovered with that was the link of burnout and guilt. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a huge way in, in terms of the religious as- aspect of Maud as well. Cause I was just like, she needs to cleanse. She's feeling so guilty constantly. And also she feels she should cleanse painfully because she feels so terrible, not just because of the particular incident that's in the film, mm-hmm. but kind of 
the effects of burnout, lowering your empathy, making you feel complicit in people's kind of humiliation when you can't help them. And so that also kind of was like, oh, she she feels that she deserves humiliation as well because she's observed it so much. I think also I am quite early on, like, felt that Maud was... um, was masking a lot, um, which I, I kind of have experience with because I've got ADHD mm-hmm. and that kind of made a lot of sense to me in terms of that if you've been kind of moderately masking for most of your life, if something catastrophic happens, that could go into a whole new persona. Um, so those were big way in for me. I mean, there's a lot of things there that are really interesting and you've, you, I've heard you talk about kind of burnout, um, with Maud before, but could you talk a little bit more about this idea of her feeling guilty and that tying into her sense of responsibility and the duty of care that she has as a as a care provider? Yeah, I think I feel that this has a big one of my cousins is also a teacher and I feel it has a big overlap with teaching as well. That the these careers that you go into from a place of care and then the realities of the job with kind of the lack of funding and kind of structure that's there means that you can't do the very baseline of care that you went into it for mm-hmm. um and that that's you also have quite a lot of quite sensitive people going in and ex- and um just not being prepared for the kind of unnecessary brutal reality at times mm-hmm. um and also um I feel that nurses as well one of my cousins is a palliative care nurse mm-hmm. and um she's often picking up the pieces of people's lives who have kind of been abandoned mm-hmm. by society say um and she's trying to give them the most dignified and kind of comforted death that she can but you can't really, you can only do so much as someone who's just met somebody. Mm-hmm. And so even though I know that my cousin is the most wonderful nurse, I know that she feels guilty for not being able to kind of repair all the damage that has been done before. So I think that I, I feel that our carers in many different mm-hmm. capacities pick up the pieces and deal with guilt that should be on other people a lot. Mm-hmm. And also lots of them are women. That's a... Uh... I think you're very, very right. And it kind of made, uh, hearing you speak just makes me rethink the relationship between Maud and Amanda. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you saw that relationship between them on the page versus how you started working those two characters up with Jennifer. Well, I was just constantly interested by the shifting dynamics of power between those two characters because um, Maud is employed Mm-hmm. by Amanda um Amanda is very sick and vulnerable so Maud uh, like is physically more powerful mm-hmm. um but the scene that really stuck out to me on the page reading mm-hmm. it was the scene in the party where Maud is humiliated mm. as like a prop and a servant and I found that really interesting as well in terms of kind of you know when we monetize care and things like that mm-hmm. it's so open for abuse on both sides mm-hmm. and you actually just had these two incredibly lonely people who were kind of drowning and both both I'd say both needed like mental health support mm-hmm. and it wasn't there and um 
yeah, it's the cruelty on both sides, but also the kind of the yearning for some connection on both sides mm. manifesting in totally different ra- ways really fascinated me. And then when I met Jennifer, mm-hmm. I think um, just how funny Amanda was mm-hmm. changed it as well. Because that, to me, whenever I meet kind of an incredibly funny, charismatic woman, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I love you. <laughs> and so that kind of made it a lot easier in terms of Maud being in awe. Mm-hmm. And also, I think kind of infatuation and obsession can quickly turn into disdain and judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because there's this sense, especially when they first meet, that Maud almost wants to be like Amanda, but also judges her and wants to fix her. Yeah. And I was wondering how you how you build that dynamic with Jennifer. I mean, kind of in the practical terms um, of you of you guys working together. Was there a lot of time to rehearse? Did you sort of adjust certain elements of your way of working or your performance based on on each other? Um, I think we did, but without, there wasn't really lots of discussion, mm. but it was just like when you're faced with Jennifer, kind of with this kind of, with the character that she was bringing, mm-hmm. it just kind of, I couldn't do anything but kind of be, um, be charmed mm-hmm. and that Maud is kind of, um, is charmed by her. And I think Maud also, it's kind of, for a very brief moment, she feels like she's in a sense of feeling equal, mm. um, kind of in those kind of hazy days. But I think that Maud is so used to feeling inferior for lots of her life that mm. um, she then goes to superior. Mm-hmm. There's very little time spent in that actual comfort, comfortable middle ground. Mm. Um, so it's very fleeting, unfortunately. But I often think I'm like, oh, this, there's that first bit of the film that I'm like, oh, it could have been very different. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll write that one in my mind. <laughs> that shifting power dynamic that you that you mentioned is is also physical. Like you brought you brought it up a little bit, the fact that Amanda is sick and and Maud is strong and healthy. Um, can you talk a little bit about the way that you? embodied mod because there's a lot of the performance i think that makes it feel so visceral that is very physical by the way that oh, she carries herself in the world and and especially the scene in the bar where she's trying to open up and connect with other people but it it feels very physically stilted i felt that Maud had gone through her life um getting things wrong quite a lot being unexpectedly um having people annoyed with her a lot and so she actually found out that it was more comfortable to be invisible Hmm. but being invisible then just feeds her kind of loathing for society because she gets treated badly and Hmm. like she doesn't exist um I also kind of with her I just felt there was so much hatred for her physical form Hmm. and this was kind of also what kind of the religious aspect of it made so much sense because like she is I, I feel that she just wants to kind of her soul to kind of seep out of her mouth and float away. Mm-hmm. And that kind of in terms of lots of the um, self-harm in it, you know, mm-hmm. she's cutting off these bits of her mm-hmm. that of this body and this person that society has said isn't good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of a constant discomfort in the body that she had. Mm-hmm. That's also clearly been abused at times as well. Mm-hmm. And, Kind of picking up on that, 
how do you then how did you then approach the more physical parts and i'm thinking specifically of the scenes of you know this almost religious ecstasy that maud goes through considering all of that all of that thinking about her hatred of her of her physical form um yeah i think the um, moments that she allows herself to feel pleasure or positive feelings she has to give to someone else and in this in with Maud it's God that there's kind of no she doesn't deserve pleasure as herself mm-hmm. um but in terms of I I looked at with um the makeup designer Jaquetta we looked mm-hmm. at lots of imagery of kind of um saintly women and mm-hmm. lots of them do look like they are in ecstasy with these like flushed cheeks and kind mm-hmm. of wide eyes um but it kind of because she's holding herself constantly in such a state of kind of panic and mm. tension, those moments, as soon as she lets go, it just felt natural that she would go to the upteenth degree with it. Mm. And what about the moments of horror? Um, I love the film regardless of its genre, but it's it's also scary on so many different levels and and walks toes that line between supernatural and um grounded so did you approach the the more horrific or the more um supernatural scenes or the more body horror scenes in a in a different way or was that an extension of all the emotional work that you were doing for more as a character it's it very much felt like an extension of it like the point where um the way that it's written, I feel the point that Maud's putting needles in her shoes, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Like I couldn't like, um, which kind of the mundanity of it, I thought was really clever as well because mm-hmm. kind of she's so kind of pitiful in her desire for kind of hugeness in a way mm. that she's kind of doing all these kind of terrible things, but in a small, small little way that nobody else knows about. I d- don't mm. know if that quite makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But no, it felt, lots of it just felt like a natural release from the pressures of the world that Maud was existing in. Mm. No, it does make total sense because it's interesting that they go hand in hand. The fact that she's got this inflated sense of importance and does all these things that are massive in her head, but nobody else can see. And that feeds in a lot into how she connects with other people as well. Yeah, and I think that that for me is the real tragedy of it. Um, mm-hmm. That her, what she needs most is kind of care and love, and yet the place that she's in within her mind repels people from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've lost my train of thought a bit <laughs> but yeah um that that to me is the most painful bit is those the moments where she's just alone in her room mm. and you know that she's just so tormented and yeah was there any particular scene that was especially challenging to to film emotionally um I I find um I found the scene with Jennifer at the end, mm-hmm. um, their kind of final conversation. Um, that was that was hard to film because 
I think it was coming off, you know, mm-hmm. um, we, we shot it chronologically. And so there was this moment of Maud on her way, feeling all kind of buoyed up and ready to go and things mm-hmm. were going to get better. And then to be just crushed by just a very, like a little sentence from someone. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of the fragility that I think lots of us kind of try to kind of like protect constantly Maud just can't um I don't know it felt like she's was in a castle made of paper and just a match is set there and then she's just doomed um and that was difficult and it was also it was also very difficult watching Jennifer in that scene because I think she kind of did it so beautifully and it was just a very a person alone Hmm. when they shouldn't be I find it really fascinating how actors can protect themselves from roles that are so emotionally demanding um so can you talk a little bit at how you separated yourself from mod on on the making of the film was there any 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 things that were being done during the the production that helped protect yourself from those huge immense feelings that mod was going through um i think the thing that protected me most was that Rose, Andrea and Oliver mm. created a set that was really kind to everybody mm-hmm. and I I hope, I feel that everybody had a good time on Maud mm-hmm. and there was a sense of like this is a place to try things out, make mistakes like um, so that kept me safe because also it meant that everyone was kind of happy around me. I also think that I'm like horribly unmethod. I used to get in trouble with this at drama school because I kind <laughs> of I like as soon as I'm not doing it, I find it all just like incredibly embarrassing and silly. So I can't stay in character at all, which I think when you're playing someone like Maud is quite good. Um, so basically, as soon as we went filming, there was just always lots of chatting and stuff. And Rose is also kind of, I think, quite similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can both kind of hyper-focus and then come out of it completely. Um, and I'm very glad that that's how I filmed Maud. Um, uh, that's yeah. very good to hear. <laughs> And then going back a little bit to something you mentioned as well between Maud and Amanda, and there's been a lot of debate about this, you know, in, in criticism and reviews and, and fe- all the, the myriad of features that's been written about the film. There is always a little bit of a of a sexual or romantic tension between them. And I was wondering if you and Jennifer played that deliberately or if it's something that, you know, is, is sort of one of the layers that is there. We knew that it was a layer that was there, but I think... Um, like I look at so going back to my obsession with TikTok at the moment um, Please. I look at like Gen Z mm-hmm. and I know they're going to be less repressed than the millennials even though there's not that much time between us and stuff mm-hmm. and I still think that like as women there's so much confusion about what we actually want what we actually desire and what we actually kind of what's our sexuality and what's put on us mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that Maud very much is kind of um, doesn't know. Mm-hmm. There's no kind of labels to her or anything. She's just kind of everything's a negative and pleasurable experience for her in a weird way. Mm. And so I think kind of I don't think Maud is um, aware of necessarily that there is kind of a sexual undertone to what's going on with her and Amanda. But I think mm-hmm. that that kind of also feeds into the aspect of religion in it that kind of female sexual expression is so 
still knotted up in kind of shame and guilt and sin. Mm. Um, so I really, I quite liked that that was not overtly explored. It was just another kind of possible confusion and place of kind of oppression there. Mm. If that makes sense. It does. It totally makes sense. <laughs> and, um, to, to start wrapping up our conversation, um, you know, those are all very intense and, and quite dark emotions and, and layers to Maud. But there's also a real sense of humor and of levity with her sometimes. And yeah. I was wondering, kind of, were those moments of, of dark humor for Maud important for you to bring to the forefront? Well, I just find people, like, hilarious and sad, just in general, like... Any kind of like family drama we have, I always find it hard to like not laugh and kind of, I've, I, I watch loads of 24 hours in A&E. Um, and I'm always just like amazed by kind of all these people in really terrible situations that they've never imagined themselves in, you know, having to think about life, death, the ones they love and stuff. People are still funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just also kind of, I find, conviction very funny my mum is a person who is like she does everything 100% which I got a bit with Maud and at times that's just hilarious um because it's so bold like I find people being loud and wrong very funny and I think Maud is often loud and very wrong (laughs) in kind of her boldness um so yeah I when I read the script I found it funny and then I would my sister read it and I was like what did you think she was like well I've I've just been lying down for a while after reading it. And I was like, okay, yeah, it's quite grim, isn't it? And I kept being like, but didn't you find this bit quite funny? And she was like, Marvel, I just can't talk about any funny bits after reading that last page. But, um, and I think that's what connected me and Rose, really. Uh huh. Yeah. And just to wrap up the conversation, Morfid, and I find it really funny that we started talking about TikTok. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you about TikTok to round this off as well. Um, what... What do you like about TikTok and which TikToks are, are getting you through? <laughs> I just think people are just so hilarious. And I love that, like, everyone's a filmmaker. I think that's just, like, so wonderful. I, like, um, have no idea how to use it. I'm just, I give nothing to TikTok. I just take. But, like, the the drama in, like, a one-minute video that's there is just... And I, and I also feel that kind of, like... Um, Part of me is like, oh, I wish Maud had got a smartphone and maybe found a little group that made her feel comfortable online. Like, mm-hmm. I'm very pro it all. Lots of, like, nice secret little spaces for us all to express our weirdness of it. Absolutely. And very much same. Both on the <laughs> lurking on TikTok, giving absolutely nothing back to it. Yeah. <laughs> and also on the, I hope, I, I wish that Maud had found a, a nice tiktok niche for herself yeah (laughs) if only morford thank you so much for your time and congratulations on the bafta rising star nomination as well thank you very much i really appreciate that thank you